Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. It is good to be with you all today on a rainy day, but um, it is great to be here. And thanks for joining us online. I know we have some camps where the counselors are tuning in. It's great to have you with us, as well as those who are gathered together to watch this morning as we continue our series, Voyagers. We've been talking about the rule of three, right? You can have good, fast, or cheap, but you can't have all three. You can have good and fast, but it won't be cheap. You can have good and cheap, but it won't be fast, right? And so, so we wanted to look at this rule of three and bring it into our series, and we called it ready, willing, and able. Those are the characteristics of a voyager. They're ready and, and to, to, to step out in faith. We've used an anchor verse, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12 one reminds us, for the hope set before him, they're ready, they're willing, they understand there's a cost to discipleship. They understand there's a cost to sailing. They understand there's a cost to launching out for God. They're living sacrifices, willing to sacrifice, if that's what it takes for the sake of the call. And then are they able? Well, we know in our own strength, we're not able. In fact, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. We're only able through Christ who gives us strength. And so we've been following our voyager, Paul, as he traverses not only across uh, the Mediterranean area and Asia Minor, but even as he is now setting a course to go to Rome, first stopping in Jerusalem, much to the chagrin of the other believers. But he has taken this step. He has decided to launch, to go to Rome. Have you ever taken a leap of faith? I mean, we all take different leaps of faith, and some, it's harder for others. Maybe it was your first house. Maybe you had to change schools. I mean, maybe, maybe you were taking a, 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 changing your major to something else in college. Maybe it was um, choosing to go from a home to a retirement home where you just didn't know how it was all going to work out, and you needed to trust God. We've been talking about these different leaps of faith in our life. And, and the leap of faith voyagers make is, all right, I'm going for it. And they jump. But we've said, isn't there a temptation to jump? God, I'm coming. But I'm going to hold on to this branch just in case. There's always that hesitation. And we want to be believers. We want to be believers who are ready to take that leap of faith. Both arms wide open like the little kid jumping off a kitchen counter at dad. I want to have that kind of faith. But God, I got to be honest. I'm nervous. I've got some hesitation. I've got some fears. I've got some what ifs. Oh, I think I'm ready, but I'm not sure I'm willing. It's going to be a call. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice. I, I think I'm able and I'm definitely willing, but I don't know if I'm ready at this moment. And as we process that through, we're watching Paul's faith, and we're trying to learn from it, to gain inspiration from it. And in doing so, we've leveraged great faith of the past. In fact, Scripture reminds us one of the reasons you have all these accounts of great faith is to build your faith and to build your strength. And if you recall, our first voyage, we talked about maybe faith. Uh, there was Jonathan and his armor bearer. Saul was hiding from all the Philistines on the one side of the hill in the clefts and the caves. Great Israelite army hiding, and Jonathan said, we must go over to the Philistine garrison. 
And how do we know if we will win? He said, we don't know, but maybe the Lord will deliver us. We know what God's plan is, and that is to take it out. And the armor bearer convinced that this was the strategy. He said, let's go. And they went to the other side. And he said, how will we know if God's going to deliver? He said, if they call for us to come up, then God's delivered us. If they say, we'll come down to you, that means we're going back. We're going back. But let's step out. Maybe God will deliver. They came to the edge of the cliff. Come up here. We'll show you a thing or two. Jonathan says, let's go. And he charges up. God has given it to us. And out from the caves came everyone who was in fear. And they charged up and won the victory that day. Why? Because he moved knowing whether maybe God will, but I know this is what God would want. Fear and faith, whatever you're wrestling with right now, it's a decision between will I operate in fear or will I operate in faith? Fear, fear is self-protecting. Faith is self-sacrificing. Fear, fear asks, what will I lose? What can we lose? What can we, uh, what can we lose? Faith goes, what can we gain? What could we gain? Fear avoids the problem. Hey, just sweep it on the rug. It'll go away. Faith says it's time to confront the problem. Fear, fear seeks an exit. I got to get out of this before it goes south. I've got to do this. I got to do this. Faith seeks an entrance. God, what do you want me to open that door and go through and do? But fear, fear brings hesitation in all decision-making. I don't know. I don't know if we should. I don't know if we should. Faith brings initiation. Ah, oh, maybe faith. Who knows? Maybe the Lord will deliver. And then last week, furnace faith, the fires of life. These three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A massive, massive image was built in Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar. And everyone was to bow down to it when the music played. And three guys didn't. Three didn't. I mean, I think we'd have enough trouble if everybody in just this room chose to do one thing and three people didn't, let alone an entire nation. And they stood there, and Nebuchadnezzar heard this news, and he commanded the furnaces they used for the massive kilns to build the walls of Babylon to be heated seven times. And he said, the music's going to play again, you three, and if you don't bow down, you're going into the flames. And who can deliver you from my hand? And the young man spoke up and said, Nebuchadnezzar, there's no need for us to answer you in this matter. We know our God can deliver. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to any other God than our Heavenly Father. Furnace faith says, even if. Fear cannot go in on. I just can't go on. I can't go on like this. Faith cannot give in. Fear, fear focuses on the fire. It's a massive fire. It's a huge fire and it's going to consume. Faith focuses on the victory. F fear says only if. I'm only going if. I'll go if we have this answer. If we have this answer. Faith says I'll go. God, I'll go. Even if. F fear feels all alone in the flame. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. I don't have anybody. Faith is never alone. Fear, fear ends up getting consumed. Faith ends up being refined. And we've been learning about these faiths. And I told you, that, that maybe faith was just like delicious little story. And, and, and that furnace faith was a full-on snack. Well, today's story of faith is just your favorite cereal good. 
I mean, whatever it is. And, and not, the, not before it goes soggy, right? Like whatever your favorite cereal, that, oh man, I just love snacking on this. This is a late night snack. I encourage you, if you're like, I need an account to build my faith, read Nehemiah's chapter four through six because this guy was an absolute stud for the Lord. Why? Why? What, what, what did this guy Nehemiah have? Because I want it. I'm gonna tell you what he had. He had what I'm gonna call awesome faith. You know, it's kind of unfortunate. We've kind of abused the word awesome, okay? We say everything's awesome. Whoa, that speaker's awesome. Those drums are awesome. I mean, something that's awesome is awe-inspiring. How many of you are young parents and you got little kids or you have a, a young niece or nephew and you see them, they come in rooms and they go like this. Ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And they point, you go, what do you see? It just brings back the joy of everything. You know, you decorate your Christmas tree and, and, and they come around the corner, ah, ah, ah. Okay, and then they're like 17, you decorate the Christmas tree, you're like, it's cool, dad, keep it up. Like, hey, I'm still going, ah, ah. Awe-inspiring. Nehemiah had a God that was not, hmm. And if you come to this church, you know, you know, we serve a big God. We preach it here at this place. We go, ho, oh, oh, we ho, we don't have a little, we don't have an itty-bitty God. Because when you have an itty-bitty God, people are really, really big and scary. But when you have a massive, awesome God, people are opinionated, got a few views. But they're not as scary because you know your heavenly Father is awesome. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because when you're trying to rebuild something that's been knocked down, when you're trying to restore a relationship that's been damaged, when you're trying to hit reset in your own personal life because you've been struggling with discouragement and defeat, you can't have a little God. You need a big God because you're going to face a lot of different things that are going to try to prevent you from rebuilding and keep you down and keep you discouraged and keep you defeated and keeping you skeptic and keeping you in doubt. In fact, sometimes... It's not just the voices in our heads. Sometimes it's a very clear and present danger. Any of you work in any kind of organizations, there's, a, there's something called the intimidation game, okay? The intimidation game is a threefold game that is often played in society, okay? I'm giving it a title for you. I'm going to mention a few illustrations. You're going to be like, oh, my word, I've been watching that this year. The intimidation game is this. Organizations, people, groups get harassed first. They just get harassed them, make fun of them, mock them, call them out, point out their inadequacies, try to find different things that will make them discouraged and defeated. Then harassment goes from investigation and trying to discredit the course or, or discredit the source. What can we do? We'll just keep harassing, we'll keep investigating, we'll come find something. We just gotta discredit this. And then the third is more like blackmail. If your organization doesn't do this, we're gonna remove funding. If your organization doesn't do this, you're gonna have this. And it's more like you're gonna get this. And there's threats, there's threats. And organizations fall under all this pressure because there's harassing, there's discrediting, and then worse off, it's you're gonna not have this if you don't do this. And so there's incredible intimidation, incredible fear. And that was exactly happening. Do you think it's new? You're like, oh yeah, I mean, that must be just this year. No. It was happening all the way back in the time of the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. 
Nehemiah was called by God to rebuild this wall. He walked down to the city. He saw the wall was in rubbles, in shambles, and he walked around it, and he investigated it. And he knew God was calling him to rebuild it. And he got the funds together. He got the resources together. He even got the people behind him. But when he began to rebuild the wall, the mocking started. What are you going to do? You're going to build it up with your own feeble hands? Name calling. Oh, what, what, was your God going to help you do that? Mockery. Hey, if a fox goes up on top of that wall, they'll knock it over. <laughs> I'm sure they thought they were hilarious. Nehemiah was like, you're all hilarious down there. Got a wall to build. But you know what? The people began to hear it. And the rubble just kept getting more and more. They'd fill in one gap, and it just got harder and harder. And on top of that, while you're trying to do the things of the Lord, there's people mocking you, making fun of you, calling what you do stupid. This is for idiots. This is for fools. And it just wears on you. And it just feels like you're wearing out. And Nehemiah saw that the people had grown really feeble and tired. And, and he needed to encourage them. Because he said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. Have you ever felt that way? Lord, the tension in our home, it's starting to become overwhelming. The broken relationship, the hurt in my heart, it's starting to get overwhelming. And he saw that the people's hearts were failing. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah with his faith and his awesome God gets up. And he arose and he said, nobles, to the officials and to the rest of the people, let this speak to you today. I don't know even who just needs this verse. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Not awesome, like that's an awesome car. This awesome, massive, huge God. Stop listening to the chants down there. We have a massive God. Come on. And the Holy Spirit within the children of God, they hear that. They hear that. Because deep down inside, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to listen to all those voices of discouragement and hurt and defeat. The Holy Spirit's going, let's go. Come on, let's go. We're better than this. We can do it. We got to move forward. We got to do this. You feel that rising up inside you, but the defeat and everything else becomes overwhelming. Nehemiah saw it back then, but he called on our awesome God, and the people gathered their strength. In fact, at one point, it's really cool. At one point, Nehemiah says, and with swords in one hand, they worked, and the other hand, they used to rebuild the wall. Here, here's the idea. And now, I know this isn't a sword, but I ordered this for my dagger week where I was talking about daggers, but Amazon's running late. So I'm going to use it this week, so I at least use it. I want you to picture this. Hey, uh, Chris, could you move this stool for me? Yeah, you got it. You got it. I'll help out. Chris, what, what do you think's coming? I don't know, but I'm ready. I mean, what if you came into church and you saw all our guys going, hey, I'm just going to set up the TV for you. We're going to put the stool here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what's up with the weapon? Right? What's up with the weapon? Oh, you need me to move the speaker? You got it. We'll move the speaker over here. Okay, why are all the guys holding weapons while they're working at church? Oh, because well, we learned from Nehemiah there are times where I got to work and fight. It, it's so difficult that I've got to fight. Have you ever been so discouraged by something that you're almost fighting through the workday emotionally? 
I got to work and fight these, these guys. I mean, picture the rubble. They're like dealing with big, heavy stones, and they're still... I mean, picture this, just me acting this out. If you're listening to a podcast or something like that, I'm literally holding a stool as well as a little dagger, fake dagger, in my hand. I mean, don't you want to put this down and work faster? But this is how they kept working. I mean, look at the determination. Look at the tenacity. How awesome was their God that they go, we have to keep building the wall, even if it means I'll hold a sword in one hand and work with the other now, ladies, if your husband's in the garage today with a drill and a, and a weapon, call me. They took the message wrong. Okay, that's not what I was trying to say. <laughs> Am I willing to work and fight? Do I have that awesome a God? Today, today we're going on a voyage with Paul. And he's going to face harassment. He's even going to get punched in the face. He's going to face threats. He's going to face division. In fact, he's going to find himself in massive division. How will he voyage through this? Will he be ready? Is he willing? Will he be able? Voyager faith says, I'm going for it. God has called me to it. I've counted the cost. I'm ready, willing. I don't know if I'm able but he is. So I move forward with maybe faith, furnace faith, and today, awesome faith. Heavenly Father, as we enter into your word, we do so knowing that this is powerful words. This is powerful encouragement. This is powerful, all-inspiring inspiration that's been given to us to help us grow our faith. So Lord, grow our faith today. We are, we are in a society and a time period with great division, dissension, and anger, frustration, even fear, discouragement, doubt, and worry. And, and I'd be a fool to think that it hasn't creeped into our homes as well. In a, in a crowd this size, there may be families that are completely divided inside. There may be a husband and wife fighting through a situation right now themselves. There might be a brother and sister refusing to talk to one another. There might be something broken down today. And you brought them here in your sovereign plan because you want to rebuild it. And so, Lord, may we have awesome faith because if we're honest, God, there's situations we're looking at our life and we're really not sure you can rebuild it. And we've been listening to the voices of doubt and discouragement and skepticism in our head. And we're starting to get tired from them. We need you. We need Nehemiahs. Look to their heavenly father and say, we have an awesome God. Let's build. Amen. Oh, our voyager traveled down to Jerusalem, much to the chagrin of his brothers and sisters who said, Paul, you're going to get hurt in Jerusalem. But he traversed it anyway after his third missionary journey. We find ourselves in Acts. And, and Paul said to him, look, I don't account my life as any value nor precious to myself. 
I have to finish my course that Jesus gave me. I've got to keep going. And so he went into Jerusalem, and you remember what happened. He was found out. There he is. That's the one who's preaching against the Mosaic laws and the ceremonies and all these things. And he's, he's even teaching people that they can come to Jesus Christ through faith and not through the works of the law. And so they're after him, and they imprison him, and they chain him up. And he finds himself, where we start our story today, in the council of the Sadducees and Pharisees. Let's get a mental picture of it. We're at Herod's temple here. You remember, he's been locked up in the fortress of Antonia, which is on the outer wall. They've brought him across the court. This is Solomon's court, where all the disciples love to preach. Peter loved to be out here at Solomon's court. And he's brought into the pro-council, which many believe was right here on this right side. And Paul stands before them all and says, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Oh, he's being accused of everything. And Ananias, the high priest, listens to this. And he commands those who stood by them, strike him on the mouth. Somebody hits Paul. Whap. Paul responds. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. I have a feeling he went after the high priest. Bang, he gets hit, and he goes to the high priest. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. What, what does that mean? Is that really, yeah. I mean, young people, you ever been at school, and you're walking down the hallway, and they're like, yo, what's up, whitewashed wall? And you're like, yeah, what? <laughs> what's a whitewashed wall? This is interesting. Let's give a little context. Um, when they would traverse back to Jerusalem to worship or anything like this, oftentimes what they'd do is they'd wash white the gravestone areas. In other words, they, they'd make them look nicer in appearance for the traversers back and the voyagers back and the sojourners coming back to worship at the temple. So they just kind of clean them up and put a good face on them. But the reality is there's dead bones inside. Oh, they might look whitewashed on the outside, but there's dead bones inside. But there was another reason they did it. It was almost like putting up caution tape. Remember, within their religious system, they had to remain pure as they went into the temple. And so if they touched any unclean thing, they would not be purified for the ceremonies. So they'd whitewash them to kind of say, keep away, this is a dead area. And so in other words, it kind of became a kind of a saying to say, you look good on the outside, but in the inside, you're filthy. It became kind of a, a saying for those who wanted to accuse somebody of being a hypocrite. And Paul is saying, you're going to hit me because I'm against the law? That's against the law because I'm a Roman citizen. And he goes right at the high priest and he says, you are a whitewashed wall. And everybody around goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to judge me according to the law? Contrary to the law, in order for me to be struck? And those who stood by said this, look, look, would you revile God's high priest? I don't think Paul knew that it was Ananias who ordered him to be punched, the high priest. Because look how Paul responds now. You whitewashed wall! And he turns to this. I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He backs down immediately. Why? Why? Because scripture. Isn't that interesting? The scripture was his highest standard, not his emotion of the moment, not whether it was right or not that he just got punched. It was scripture's my highest standard. And so he subjects himself to God's revealed will. I, I, this is wrong what you're doing, but, but 
I'm going to back down because you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul is a, a great example for me and all of us that the highest standard is scripture. That speaks into all the situational ethics of today, doesn't it? The highest standard is scripture. And we see Paul, who was no Sally, who was no wuss, who was no walkover, going, I got to submit to scripture in this area. Even though I cannot believe you just ordered me to be punched. So hypocritical. But I'm not going to speak evil of God's ruler because I'll submit to scripture. So Paul all of a sudden begins to see this is not going to go my way. And you remember Jesus said to his guys, hey, I want you to be like wise, but gentle as doves. Okay, I want you to be wise. I don't want you to be stupid out there. You've got to have some strategy because the world's going to be coming at you in different ways. But I want you to approach, be Christ-like. Paul starts to get a little tricky here. It says this, now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. What, what, what's going on here? He's perceived that one part's Pharisees. So we're going to say, this side of the room, you're going to be Pharisees, okay? All right, that's how you believe. You're like, don't tell me how to believe. Just, it's, guys, it's illustration. Stop glaring at me, okay? You guys are going to be Sadducees. And you're like, yes, I've always wanted to be a Sadducee. Okay, wh why does this matter? Because Pharisees, okay, you allow that there is a resurrection from the dead. You're okay that there is a spirit and that there's angels, there's evil ones, and there's good ones. You're, you, you allow for that. You'll allow that into your doctrine. You will not. You have no time for it. There's no resurrection. This is garbage, okay? And, and, and there's no angels. There's no demons. There's no spirit. We're not doing that, okay? Let's stick to the law. So Paul picks up on this division. I wish I had an illustration for today of people who think differently on either side. Okay, you got, okay, okay, okay. Now, 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 he says, brothers, I am a Pharisee. Oh, you Sadducee, oh, you're gonna go there, Paul? I am a Pharisee, and they're all going, eh, this is our guy, right? I am a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. <laughs> No, you didn't just go there. I'm standing here today. He knows I'm not going to get a fair trial, so I'm going to divide them against themselves. I'm not going to get a fair trial. I'm a Pharisee, and I'm being charged because I'm giving out the hope of the resurrection of the dead, which you don't believe is even possible, and you're okay with. And all he does now is stir these two groups up. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was all divided. And Luke even adds, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? which you all don't believe in, and that makes you even angrier, and I bet they knew that. Let's say something that really gets them on fire. And the dissension became so violent. Look at this. They're over here. The dissension became so violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn into pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So he's taken across the temple court back into the barracks. Now, I want you to remember this. Because something's about to happen right here in our text. Something's about to go down as Paul is thrown in back into jail. 
The first thing I want to note about a voyager is they need to be ready. Ready for what? Unfortunately, ready to sometimes be polarizing. Sometimes your faith will be polarizing. It will divide people. What you believe will be looked at as something abhorrent to some people. And they'll have made decisions about you and who you are and what you're about based on what they know you believe or even maybe where you attend on a Sunday morning. Not because of anything you've actually said or even done, but because of a decision they've made about your faith in Jesus Christ. I bet if I walked around this room and spoke to some of you, I bet some of you have lost relationships because of your belief in Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, salvation and trust in Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven divides certain people. In fact, Jesus told us, he was like, hey, can I give you a heads up? They're gonna hate you because of me. And, and, and you're watching him Christians going, am I gonna be loved by the world? I really wanna be loved by the world. I really want 10,000 followers. Or am I going to be okay going, Jesus, I just want to follow you. And if that means people aren't going to think well of me, may it never be because of how I behave. May it only be because of what I believe. And I say that, and I want to be clear, because God's kids are not called to be polarizing people. Because there's a lot of believers, sadly, giving Christians a really bad rep right now with arrogant comments, hurtful name-calling, demeaning behavior, all things that are not fruits of the Spirit. I'm sorry if that stings a little. But we have been called to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And that's not weakness. It's easy to be a jerk. It's very hard to love someone when nothing's coming back in return. But I know I've been called to even love my enemy. And it stinks sometimes. It hurts. And I want to... But I have to remember, most of the anger coming at me or judgment coming at me is because of Jesus, not even because of anything I did. And so, Christian, may I pause here for a minute and say this is not a call to be polarizing yourself. First Peter reminds us, share the gospel with gentleness Make them have a, hey, what's the hope that's in you? Not, how come you're such a monster? That's not going to draw anybody to grace. Is only going to draw people. But we're going to be polarizing at times. I think of an ish, a story I read in uh, Desiring God. John Piper puts out these articles. Um, this this y- young man shared about his faith and how he came to know Christ as his personal savior. He grew up in a Muslim home. He was taught English by a second grade teacher who gave him a Bible that he actually went and hid. He had put it away and he moved on with his Muslim faith, but he remembers in high school a time he shares where he was playing basketball and he said, I took the Lord's name in vain. And somebody next to me said, hey man, you're talking about my savior. And I was like, what? He said, I went home and started thinking about this and and it was just weighing on me. It was like it kind of struck him. He said, "I, I went into my closet and I dug up that old Bible that my second grade teacher gave me when I was learning uh, the different language. And and, and, uh, he he began to look at it and even debate at school with some of his friends as it was now 10 years later. 
He said, it was when I got to Romans chapter 12 and I saw that faith came not from doing things, not from works, not from pillars, not from um, actions, but faith in Jesus Christ that I gave my life to Christ, but I hid it from my family. He said it, he remembers the day his dad found the Bible. He writes this, finally one day my dad found it He'd seen my Bible, and he'd also seen other evidences in my life. He sat me down, and he said, son, what's going on? There's something different about you. And I said, dad, I'm a Christian. And he said, no, you're not, young man. You're a Muslim, and you'll always be one. I said, dad, the Bible says that if I trust in Christ alone for my salvation, then I'm a Christian, and I do, dad. And my dad said, Afshin, if you're going to be a Christian, then you're no longer my son. Everything in my flesh wanted to say, forget it. Forget it, I'll just be a Muslim. I didn't want to lose a relationship with my dad. So even I was surprised when I opened my mouth and I said, Dad, if I have to choose between you and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. And if I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. My father disowned me on the spot. He says he recalls going up into his bedroom, going, God, why? Why? And he came to the passage in Matthew where Jesus said, I do bring a sword. Those who follow me, there can be division in their lives. Belief in me can turn fathers against sons, mothers against daughters. But they hate you because they hate me. He chose Jesus. He, he, he further says this. There's a huge difference between being a follower of Christ and merely giving mental assent to the truths about Jesus. The call of Christ isn't simply believe the right things about me, but follow me. And following Jesus is defined by losing your life. It is laying down your dreams, your pursuits, your idols to grab a hold of the greatest treasure in life, Jesus. But how defeating, how discouraging to lose a relationship because of your faith that you found in Scripture. Well, you know there's another passage where God says, whatever you give up, I'll return 100-fold. You know, this young man, he ends up going to college and has a roommate who has become a Christian whose father has also disowned him, just randomly happened. He goes on to say, in college, he met a businessman who ended up paying for his entire education as well as seminary. He was given an internship while there, and he's become a pastor and is now pastoring in Texas for the past 20-some years. And his relationship with his father has been restored. I think we need encouragement when we go through struggle like this. Because it's never fun to be rejected. Nobody likes it. I don't like it. And I think Paul was at a pretty low spot in that prison, as rejected as he was. And it was there. The Lord showed up, Scripture says. The following night, the Lord stood by me. He said, take courage, for as you have testified about the facts of me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. It's kind of like, like, you're invincible, 
Until you get to Rome, you're going to make it. It's like God wanted Paul to know, you're going to make it. You're going to get there. Well done. He needed that hang in there. You always see this in scripture. Don't let the enemy lie to you. God is so encouraging to his kids. He encourages his kids. Don't, don't listen to those voices of God's mad at you. And he, hey, child of God, he loves you dearly. And he encourages kids all the time. And, and so that was the night, and it was a bad night. But we got a good day coming, right? I mean, just because you have a bad night doesn't mean you're going to have a, a bad next morning, right? Let's look. And when it was day, the Jews made a plot. Oh, my word. Somebody leave Paul alone. They made a plot, and they bound themselves by an oath. Wait a minute. This is getting weird. Neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Okay, that's really, what? There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Now, hang on. 40 people got together and go, all right, here's the deal. We are going to eat and we're not going to drink. You know, there was one guy going, can we maybe drink? No, we're not going to drink and we're not going to eat until we kill Paul. I mean, this is pretty nasty. And it was like, yeah, they're all, are we in? We in? All right, 40 people. We're going to kill Paul. That might not scare you in the bubble that we live in in Bucks County. But if you were in Chicago in the middle of a gang city, that would terrify you to hear there's a hit placed on your head. Because it means it's going to happen. It's not a maybe. It's going to happen. You're going to die. And these guys have committed to not even eat. So what do they do? They went to the chief priests and the elders and they said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring down to you, okay? Bring him down to you. And as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, bring him from the fortress of Antonia across that way to the council and we'll be ready to kill him before he comes near. Voyagers not only have to be ready at times to be polarizing, not because of the way they're behaving, but because of what they believe. They also have to be willing to count the cost that it is an endangered call, willing to be endangered. I mean, Paul lived a life of danger, of things where he wasn't allowed to go and hide. And there is a time for prudence. There is a time for prudence. But he was a voyager. He has to keep going. He can't afford to say, well, I'm not going. You go ahead. You go ahead. He can't. He is a voyager. He has set a course. He has leaped in faith. He's going for it. And so he has to be willing to be put in danger because of what he believes he has to do. Have you ever been put in danger for your faith? I had a chance to be a part of a youth mission in Chicago where I went there with a group of kids. It was a far more dangerous area than I thought it was going to be. So dangerous that it had eight-foot fences so you couldn't see over them and many watchdogs. And there were two buildings on either side, and you could go back and forth between the courtyard, which had a basketball court. And one side was where a lot of the staff or interns or mission groups would stay, and the other was their ministry building. Well, their ministry leader there was a tenacious, tenacious leader. He had an awesome God, and he served tenaciously. But he was under threats multiple times. I said, has there ever been something where you've really been in danger? And he said, Chris, let me tell you the story. He didn't tell it in front of the teens and 
We wanted them to go home and enjoy their lives. But, but we're in there. He tells me this story. He said, um, we were, had a scuffle happen on our basketball court, and I had to go in and intervene. And I had to go in very aggressively. And it made one of the athletes very mad at me. And he said, I was going to pay for this and left. Well, he found out, you find out on the streets there in Chicago, that they had placed a hit on him. And so he knew his life was in danger. Now, now, for the sake of his ministry, he felt called to go on. He, he, he counted the cost. And, and he said, I drove my kids to school very differently. Would even walk them up to the door. I stayed my way. We, we handled ourselves a little differently. I was very strategic with times I went. With times we talked to the authorities. We tried to do everything we could. But I felt God telling me, stay. Keep going. Keep going. And he stayed. I mean, how many of us are go? all right, that's God's will. We're out. Get the kids in the minivan, all right? He stays. And that family prayed every night, and they kept maneuvering and kept doing ministry. He said, but one night, I stayed too late. You know how it is. I thought an intern had come in downstairs. But before I know it, I'm on a computer, and a revolver is put in the back of my head. He said, Chris, when you know your life is on the line, you've thought about what you would say in the moment. So I was ready. Here it is. And he said, I said, before you pull that trigger, he felt a pause. What? What would you guys do? What would your fathers do if I killed you guys? And there was almost a chuckle. Like one, you can't do that to us. And two, he said, he'd hunt you down. And he makes sure you're dead before the night's through. He said, okay, if that's what your dad would do, I just want to tell you who my father is. I serve an awesome God, a mighty God, and he's watching this. And so you can pull that trigger, but I know he'll protect me. And he might just hunt you down like your father would hunt you down. He said, I just closed my eyes. He said, all of a sudden I felt go off. He heard something like, man, that's messed up. And they left. He said, I've been serving here since. I said, that still didn't make you leave? I said, that's it. I go home. I said, sweetheart, how was work today? I'm done. He stayed. He was still there. That's awesome faith. This plot is against Paul, but he's willing to be endangered. And just randomly, randomly, the text says, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. I mean, that's random, right? I got a buddy in Christ. He says, Chris, there is no coincidences with God. God allows the ambush to be overheard. And, and, and so he went and he entered the barracks and he told Paul. I don't know why you're telling Paul. Tell somebody else. So Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune. He has something to tell him. So he took him and he brought him into the tribune. And he said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. And he has something to say to you. Well, what? So the tribune says, come here. He can tell this is intense. Come here. And he took him by the hand and going alongside him, he asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And the young man tells him, look, look, look. He says this. 
The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they're going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. You say, why is the tribune working for Paul? Remember last week, the tribune can't have chaos in the city. It'll be on his head. So the Jews and their religious struggles with Paul aren't his concern. He's a Roman authority. He needs to keep the peace. So, so don't be persuaded them for more than 40 of the men are lying in ambush for him who have been bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune, he dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Don't tell anybody. And then he calls his guys together. Now remember, every centurion leads 100 men. That's called a cohort in scripture, okay? So a centurion has 100 men, so he calls two centurions. So you can do the math of how many people he calls. Then he called two of the centurions and he said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. There's going to be a night ride and we're going to get Paul out of here. So he says, also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. Now I'm going to give you all a heads up in case you haven't researched Felix recently. I don't know what you were reading this week. Safely and Felix don't go together. Felix the governor is a monster, okay? He is a monster of a man. He is evil. He is cruel. But in order to get Paul out of Jerusalem, they're sending him to Caesarea. And you'll find out next week what happens to him. You're getting used to it, right? I even give you the able like it's coming. What will happen to him? Will Paul be able to survive heading into Felix the governor? I mean, he's escaping the Jews. Maybe. What if they catch him on the way? What if they hear that he's leaving at the night hour? What will happen? Will he be able? Will he be able to have what kind of faith? Will he be able to have awesome faith? A tenacious faith. A tenacious faith that's willing to keep fighting and working. A faith that says, I'm not coming off the wall. You can mock me as much as you want. You can make fun of what I believe. You can make fun of me for trying to restore something that you think it's impossible to restore. But I'm not coming off the wall. It's an awesome faith. Do you have awesome faith? Would you love awesome faith? Remember, with every decision you're struggling with right now, you'll always have to ask yourself, Am I operating in fear or am I operating in faith? We learned something about awesome faith. Awesome faith puts both aside and sees that fear, fear wants to rescind. All right, we were trying. This is just too hard. This is just too hard. I mean, my husband and I, we got off, we tried, but it, you don't understand, it's gotten so bad. Faith wants to rebuild Fear, fear sees the rubble. Oh, our son, our daughter, my brother, my sister, they're so hard to the things of the truth, Chris. I, I hear what you're saying. And I, and I really I really pray for myself, but I've got, I gotta be honest with you, the rubble is so big. I mean, oh, they're so hard to this and they're getting harder to the truth all the time. In fact, they mock me for even believing in God. Fear sees the rubble. Salt sees, faith sees the renewal. Faith has a hope set before him. 
that they have an awesome God who could, he could do it. Maybe God will deliver. Even if he doesn't, I'm going to push through because I have an awesome God. Fear, fear says, I, I better come down. I mean, their taunts are really getting nasty. We, hey, guys, we got half of it done. We should be proud of ourselves. Okay, and the little spirit's going, you're not done. But God, we got a lot of it done. I know, but you're not done. All right, all right. Because faith says, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down. Fear listens to skepticism. Did you hear a lot of people are thinking there's not much of a future for the church? Fear listens to all that. And he gets worried and feels doubt. Do you feel it in your soul? He's like, oh no, yeah, I mean, I heard this was gonna happen. I heard people are doing this. I hear there's some plots out there. Faith listens to the confidence that Nehemiah gave. Our Lord will fight for us. At one point he cries out. He'll fight for us. Come on. Say, Chris, can I hire Nehemiah to live at my house? No, I'll do my best on Sundays. Fear has an incapable God. Who needs this right now? Who's got something in their life that they really honestly, even as I'm saying it, they go, I appreciate your enthusiasm, Chris, but I don't even believe this is possible. Faith has an awesome God. Just like you all, I've had things that I've lost and have hurt over the past year and a half. From things I used to enjoy doing that weren't able to happen, to even relationships at times. We've all gone through this. I put a wall art in our kitchen because I needed it. And it says this, God can restore anything that's broken. All you need is faith. And I used to look at that and go, yeah, faith, yay. <laughs> Until I started putting characteristics to faith. It's going to take maybe faith, Chris, because you're not going to be sure. It's going to take even if faith, and it's going to take awesome faith. But trust me, through whatever rubble you're going through, God has a reason for it. He's going to reset your dependence on him. I bet you're going to ask for his help if you're trying to rebuild something. He, he's going to reveal your pride. There's things in you that have caused some of this rubble. And he'll reveal it as you go through it. He's working on you. Whenever there's a fire, he's refining. He'll reorganize your priorities. What was used to be important is no longer important. I've got to make this a priority. He'll renew your prayer life when you're going through a struggle. I got a brother in Christ who's in tears over a health struggle. He said, I've never prayed more in my life. It's times like this where God calls us closer to him. He retunes our heart. And gives us empathy. He renovates our youthfulness, usefulness, and, and he, he prepares us to be more impactful for him. He has a purpose through these testings because he's seeking to refine our faith. And that's why Peter says, even though I'm in a rubble, even though I'm in a fire, I can rejoice when many trials hit me because I know God is refining me, rebuilding me, reusing me. I want to leave you today five strategies from Nehemiah if you're ready to rebuild something in your life. You're sitting on the wall and you're a little tired. Five strategies we'll just take from him as if it's a little master class from Nehemiah on how to have a more tenacious faith that has an awesome God.
When he was being taunted by Sambala, he said, we set a guard. From that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. He battled both ways. Any, any football players in here? Anybody likes football? High school, they say you're a two-way player sometimes. What does it mean? It means you're playing offense and defense, right? Nehemiah was that kind of leader. He goes, I'm a both ways leader. I'm going both ways. I'm playing offense, but I'm playing defense. You got an organization trying to do great work for God? Play offense, but be smart. Ask people, what kind of firewalls do we need to put up? What kind of protections do we need? What kind of security? What kind of provisions can we take to set a guard? Our church, organization, our family, kids, we're going to enjoy living in this house despite the fact it could burn down, but that is also going to check the batteries on the fire alarms. I'm playing offense and defense. Nehemiah was that kind of leader. When you're under threat, you got to think both offense and defense. Second, second, show visible support. Nehemiah was a visible support. The leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Leaders can't go and run hide. Voyagers can't hide when they call everybody. Hey, everybody, charge! That's not how voyagers work. They go, come on, we're going to do this together. How many of us would restore a relationship with someone that's been broken by going, hey, hey, how can I help? I feel like I've been the problem. How can I help? I want to support. But I can't support what they're doing. But can you love them? Can you show some visible support? But others will think that when you're doing tenacious faith, it's not about what others think. It's about showing support. How about this? They doubled down their efforts. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. They doubled down their efforts. They said, we're gonna do whatever it takes. If I gotta work and fight, I'll do this. Any guys go to work fighting an emotional battle that you could go to tears at any moment, but you just keep grinding at work because you know it's what God's called you to do? but you feel like you're fighting all day. It's wearing down. God wants to fight for you. Nehemiah knew he has an awesome God. Moms, maybe you're in the fight. Maybe it's like every day there's so much dissension in our home. I'm just so tired of it. Double down. Holy Spirit say, hey, mom, work and fight. Fight the dissension, but keep going. Keep going. Create a rally cry. We all need rally cries. We all need things. The work is great and widely spread, and we're separated on the wall from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. I can't tell you how many times I can't control a situation or can't fix a situation, and I see it kind of sliding, and I go, God, I can't do this. Would you fight for me? It's actually very relieving. Try it sometime. This is too hard for me. I just can't even get off the couch right now. Fight for me, God. Ask for his help. He loves to help his kids and then finally stay on the mission. Oh, the reason for the harassment and the reason for the intimidation is just to get you off mission. Know the enemy's tactic and stay on the mission. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor my men of the guard, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. What is God asking you to rebuild? What is he asking you to restore? Maybe it's even your own attitude. Maybe it's time to show a little tenacity. And like Nehemiah, have an awesome faith that says, 
this is so hard. This is so difficult. I've got 85-year-old women walking into this church like this with oxygen attached to them. Tenacity. This is so hard. But I believe God is good and is for me and will work a miracle through the worst situation of my life. And so I'm sorry. I'm not coming off this wall. Heavenly Father, give this church, give all of us a renewed tenacity of faith. Visit the most defeated soul right now, Lord. Give him a hug that I can't do. And let him know you want him to fight, but more importantly, you'll fight for him. But we gotta be tenacious at times. We gotta be persistent at times. And yes, there are times to just fall into your arms of refuge. But there are also times to stand up and keep going even though it's so hard. But Lord, would you just keep reminding us with your truth, you're with us, you're beside us. And what you've called us to rebuild and restore and renew, that we'll have the faith in an awesome God that will motivate us to keep trying even when all we get are closed doors. Give us that awesome faith, God. We need it desperately. We'll pray this knowing you're faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.